Sometimes with weight gain, it's hard to see the mute switch. <laughs> but uh, told somebody a while ago I've lost 15 pounds. I've only gained 18 back so far. I'm keeping it off real well. But it's great to be here. Hard to see my friend's video and not be able to give him a hug. A lot of memories. And your pastor really has helped me in a number of areas, uh, so many things. He would come and teach two or three times a year for our church in Maine. We had a lot of great, uh, a lot of great times, revival services and classes. He taught us uh, some of the Financial Peace University one year, uh, a number of things. T.D. Jake's Seven Steps for a Turnaround, he taught that to us uh, so many ministry opportunities. One time he was going through some things. How many know we all go through some seasons? And uh, he came and he knows my frustration when things aren't right. And we, uh, it was, I don't know, it might have been fall, but we put up all through the church from my office on out through we put up calendars that were way off by months and we had circled his birthday on it. And when I brought him through to the sanctuary uh, in the back of the church, I said, man, I can't believe the staff hasn't changed this calendar in months. And the truth was we had just put it up uh, to celebrate his birthday months away from his actual birthday. And then we had a whole service dedicated to uh, we call it the John Wood Show, and we had videos and prizes, and it didn't register with him that we'd circled the date and the calendar was wrong because today was his day, even though it was months off. So, so many memories uh, at the condo and uh, times together up there uh, when we were pastoring two churches and uh, he, he, I don't know if you guys know, he, he doesn't like to ride. He would fly right into the church if he could. And then riding with me, the second church we had was one and a half hours up a windy lake road, hills. And, and by the time we hit the second church, for him to preach that night, he did not feel well. But he preached anyway. So he's been a great advisor to us. He's really helped us through some crazy seasons and and some great seasons. So uh, I just uh, I just miss him today. But it's so good to be here. Every time we come, we feel like we're at home anyway. You guys just welcome us, uh, and we feel so comfortable here. We, this is a dream facility. I I had to video today. You know, sometimes we don't realize what we have. This is amazing. I got to tour it right before you purchased it. And it's got to be amazing. I don't even want to ask what the electric bill is, but, uh, but God's taking care of it. How many years have you been in here now? Ten? It's just been amazing. Uh, and what God is doing here is crazy. I wish... I had run on the AstroTurf back when I could. I at least went in there today, and, and uh, I don't even want to throw a ball that far anymore. The, 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 uh, 
Man, the joints are gone, but new bodies are coming. But everybody say, not today. I want to stay here. But anyway, it's good to be here. I have my wife with me today. I call her my bride. I call her my fiance. You guys know the story. We still have the first note she wrote me for our young people. Don't do this. But she wrote to me during church. She said, I'm 11. I'll be 12 July 9th. Do you like me, Mary, or Beth, circle one? And it had a piece of beech nut spearmint gum in it. On our trip down, I went in a gas station. She wanted some gum. What do you think I bought her? I bought her spearmint gum. Uh, we still have the note and the piece of gum taped to it. And uh, I never answered it yet. I'm still... Uh, I felt insulted. If you don't know by now, I mean, you're 11 and I'm 12. If you don't know by now, I'm madly in love with you. I don't need to answer a note. So we married at 18 back when we knew everything. And uh, after uh, we had fully adjusted to marriage, one month later, we went to Bible college. So, and the rest is history. This woman has lived in $325,000 custom homes and uh, and then she's lived in single wide trailers and then we've gone into another custom home then we've uh, sewn back into other ministries my kids are the same way we met in our brand new home only in there two years said you know I feel like God might be asking for it and, and uh, uh, anyway uh, we sewed back in and we moved into a trailer in our second church and commuted an hour and a half one way every day you don't find uh, companions like that that will ride with you through all these challenging times. Besides, she loves classic cars and loves riding on our Harley. Uh, so, which right now we sold it. So, when a biker goes by, I said, Those stinking bikers, I can't believe it. They're so loud. I always get the Vance and Hines pipes. Anybody with me on that? Come to the altar right now. Let's go. So uh, if anyone has a Harley here, I'll gladly leave my truck and we'll take that back to Maine. But uh, it's just good to be here. We appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. It's been a strange season. I last preached here on a Wednesday night about oh, two and a half years ago. It was uh, uh, two years ago last March. And uh, we were living in Powder Springs, Georgia. Anybody ever heard of that place? We thought God was calling us here, and uh, I believe he did for a reason, but we went back home, felt like he called us back, and we've tried to move south twice over the years, and it just hasn't clicked. I was born in Florida, but I didn't even get to vote on moving back north. I was three months old when they moved me back there. So you just pray for us. We're between churches. We felt like God asked us to lay it down. We've been in the strangest holding pattern of our lives. But we're okay with that. Because no matter what you and I are going through today, he understands it. How many know he has a purpose? He has a plan. There's a reason behind it. We're not going to figure it out. It's during those times that I cling to what I call my old beater Bible. I say that uh, with all respect. In fact, I had to add more duct tape last night. And that's all I had was blue with me in the truck. I had that since I was 13. And 
when I'm in a tough, no, don't, don't go out and buy me a Bible. I preached at one church. They presented me with this brand new, like, $75 Bible. Thank you so much. I've got so many Bibles, I should be ashamed of myself. Come on, we all have so many here. And they fight over them in China and Korea. And so uh, I keep this with me because I've preached in like 30-some states in the country with this thing. And it's been through things when we buried my wife's 16-year-old brother back in 1979 who was killed in a hunting accident. It's been there when I buried my mama back in December of 2000, when we buried my, my daddy back in, uh, uh, it was December of 2007. Uh, and in, uh, in 2008, when uh, my wife's 46-year-old sister with six children, she was hit by a car and killed on her morning walk. And so this book, you know, it's not a religious thing where you hold it up. If I lost it, it'd be okay. I'd still make it to heaven. But there's been so many tears shed on this thing and so many prayers prayed over it that I carry it on the road right now during this holding pattern. I'd just soon be pastoring right now or doing something. Most of what we're doing now is preaching some and uh, doing antiques and building, uh, building repurposed farm tables and all that. And I love, I love the old junk. I, I wouldn't be any happier than if you had a barn and you needed me to look at some stuff today. And just kidding. Anyway, but no, actually, that's the truth. That's the truth. Uh, I already just learned, your Pastor and Kelly just got a place with 50 acres. I'm already going to go over there and find out where I can put a couple of stands for, is it okay to say hunting here? I don't know. Actually, I'm not up in the, in the liberal northeast, so I like to hunt. Forgive me. Anyway, so pray for me today. But we're, we're just, uh, we're thanking God for what he's doing. We know he has a plan. It's great to be here. The greatest thing that's ever happened in my life other than salvation and marrying my wife is something you guys were involved in last January, and that is praying for my wife. And I have you know, the doctors don't even understand it. We had a Baptist surgeon and a Catholic specialist, and they believe in miracles, but they apologized after they felt embarrassed because all the tests, numerous overlapping tests indicated that my wife was not going to be around more than maybe a month. <laughs> that was last January. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you guys were part of that miracle because you didn't pray just to pray or out of religious duty. You prayed because you cared and because you know our God still heals and can still do it. About two months ago, she had a follow-up appointment, and the doctor put his hand on his shoulder and said, I don't understand it. He said, uh, it doesn't make any sense. And they even did more tests after her surgery and more scopes and all that. And I guess they needed another wing on the hospital or something. Or I told him he needed another set of golf clubs anyway, maybe some pings this time or something. But uh, God just did something. God did something. 
that we can't pay for or earn or deserve. He just, uh, he just took care of her. So I want her to stand and smile so you'll know how lucky I am, how blessed I am to have her. And she looks great, man. Six o'clock this morning, I said, boy, you look awesome. And uh, man, I'm happy, man. It's been 39 years, and I still like to watch her. Come on. I still like to look at her. She's amazing. I introduce her as my daughter, by the way, because <laughs> part of me's falling apart. But anyway, it's good to be here. I want to get down to business, and we're not going to hold you long. I asked uh, Pastor Kelly if I could just pray for you at the end of the service. I'd like to pray for some of you that are hurting today. Uh, I like what Sister Leanne said about facing 9-11 those 15 years ago. Uh, I'll never forget that. And I'd been a police officer for seven years, and I ended up going to ground zero to serve there uh, after about two months after it happened. I'll never forget it. There's no way to describe it. I have nothing but respect and appreciation for those any veterans here today or any EMT, fire, rescue, would you just stand real quick? Uh, anybody, a veteran or active duty or fireman, police officer, EMT, thank you guys. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, men. Thank you so much. Some of us will never go with the flow that's happening in our country I believe God's going to revive America and there's going to be some changes. We need him. But that, as Sister Leanne said, the hope issue uh, can really drain you. When you find out that your wife needs surgery and the, the doctor's away in Columbia visiting his family and he can't explain anything but he sends word through his office, you need to find a surgeon as soon as possible. That can dampen your level of hope. When you go from great income and giving away twenty to thirty, forty thousand dollars a year to suddenly all uncertain income and not knowing what's next, how many know? Anybody been there? It can dampen your human ability to hope. When you are diagnosed with something that you have no control over, it can dampen your level of hope. When your children are struggling or your marriage is going through a rocky time or you have a family member or a friend or your business has crashed, anybody been there before? It can drain our hope. We're going to talk today about moving from hopelessness to hope. How many want to move there from hopelessness to hope? I love Zechariah 9, 12, and I'm in my old King James today, but I love this passage. Zechariah 9, verse 12. Turn you to the stronghold. 
Now we often think about strongholds, keep your finger there, we often think about strongholds as negative strongholds. How many are aware of that? But I was talking to a friend yesterday about this verse that we stayed with last night in Powder Springs. There's another stronghold. And the word says, turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Now you're a prisoner, but you're full of hope because you're turning to the stronghold. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. Anybody ready for double? <laughs> Would like to see things change? I love the NIV on that. I looked it up a few minutes ago. If it'll still come up. Can we get that in NIV? Can we get that on the screen in NIV, Zechariah 9, 12, just to see it? I need my kids here to run my smartphone. Uh, because to me, some days it's a dumb phone. But anyway, if we can get that, that text again, uh, look at this thing. It's amazing. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Our God is a source and a God of hope and provision and restoration. And I'm here to declare this morning that I don't care what you've been through. I don't care where you're at this morning. I don't care what it looks like. God is challenging us to return to him because he is a stronghold and we are prisoners of hope. We can't put hope down because our God is hope. Our God is provision. Our God is a healer. He's a deliverer. He's a restorer. He can restore health and marriages and businesses and finances. And, and no matter what we're going through, he's there. Father, we thank you for your word today. In these next around 20 minutes, God, let your word come alive. Challenge us and change us and bring encouragement. I bind any hindrance, any distraction, any weariness, any discouragement and depression, any hopelessness, and I loose the powers of the Spirit of God to come in and saturate us with hope, the same hope that we felt as we drove on this campus and walked inside and heard the worship team rehearsing, God, and then experienced in worship, God. We feel your hope. God, you're going to change some situations this week. You're going to change some discouraged hearts this morning. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We're prisoners of hope. And we, as we turn to him, we are going to trust him. We are going to believe him. We are going to look to him. There's a wonderful stronghold in God. And you may be a prisoner, but you're a prisoner of hope. You are a prisoner full of hope. And God <coughs> will not let us give up if we'll choose hope. You can be at your lowest lying on the floor in the middle of the night. You can be seated in a rocking chair 
all alone in the middle of the night. I got my mama and my nana's old rocking chair. It's not worth 10 bucks at a yard sale, but I try to pray in that every morning because he heard my grandmother there, he heard my mother there, he's heard me there, and it's not the chair, it's the God of the chair, <laughs> hallelujah. And I sit there because it stirs my faith just like when I come to an altar in any church in the country, I just know I'm talking to him. It's not religious ritual or duty that no matter what I'm going through, God, not by might nor by spirit, nor, not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, not by talent or ability or a program, but just a divine move of God, God is going to rock our world and fix things for us if we'll hold on to hope in the name of Jesus. There are three things we're going to talk about this morning and relating to hope, moving from hopelessness to hope. Number one, hope is not dependent upon circumstances. <coughs> Excuse me. Hope is not dependent upon circumstances. If you need $20 today and you already have $20, you don't really need to hope. It's when you need $20 and you don't have a dollar, you need hope. You need to communicate. It's not dependent, hope is not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on uh, how your year has gone. These last three years for us, next month will be three years, have been the strangest, most difficult, season in 39 years of marriage and ministry. We can't even explain it. We still don't know where we're headed. We just know we're going to be okay. He's going to take care of us. He's going to meet us. Now, don't be embarrassed for us because we're comfortable and happy. We've had three brand new custom homes over the years. We are living in my mama's old 1969 single-wide trailer. And we call it, if you see me on Facebook, uh, we call it the compound. <laughs> it's got an acre and a half, and deer come out, and wild turkeys, and squirrels, and birds, and, and we have a nice little fire pit. And we're just as happy in that home as our nice home now, again, I, I'll take another nice home someday. But in the meantime, it's a season. My level of hope is not based on the fact that we had to replace all the windows over the last three years. <laughs> because there were the, remember, anybody have the old crank out aluminum? Can you imagine that in a Maine winter when the winds are blowing, the blizzard's coming, you've got a three-foot storm coming, and you've got a mess up there. Sister McQuarrie will know what I'm talking about. Come on. And so we'd replace, we couldn't, we had no steady income. We still don't. God's taking care of us. And I'm just being real transparent. Is that all right? We'd replace, we'd go and I'd buy one window at Lowe's or Home Depot. No, we got these at Lowe's. And I'd put it in. Whoa, we'd look across the dining room. Well, we got one spot. The wind's not going to blow in. Then I remember the time we bought two. Hallelujah. 
That was like back in the $325,000 custom home, three bedroom, 900, uh, no, four bedroom, three bath, all that. Garage, garage had just black and white check tiles. We didn't even put cars in there. All we put in there was my red Harley Road King. Oh, and we had an antique barber chair, red rope lights around the edge, all vintage memorabilia around the walls. We used it as a family room. And uh, we, then we turned it into a fitness center. You can tell that did a lot of good. Anyway, uh, I was happy then, but I'm just as happy now. Are you with me? It's not circumstantial. It's seasonal, and it's a challenge. There are times you're counting coins at a convenience store, and everybody's in line, and they're all mad at you like you wanted to pay for a half gallon of milk with pennies as if you chose that. Yeah, I just like to, this is how I like to spend my pennies, folks, okay? I'd treat you all, but I think I'm four cents short. Have you been there? Is this real? Come on. But it's seasonal. Your hope is still there. Your hope is there. We had a time a few years ago, our, our daughter went and cashed in my state quarters collection just to buy groceries for us. She went to Coinstar in a grocery store and bought groceries because it was too painful. I've been collecting those quarters all over the country when we travel. I'm not here to say, oh, it's sad. It's, no, I'm happy, man. I'm full of hope. It's a season. There were times I could write a check for $20,000 and bless a ministry. And there are other times that you, you, you're counting coins. But it's all okay because the circumstances do not dictate our hope or hopelessness. When we sat there while they're operating on my wife, we sat there as a family and we were full of hope anyway because God is still in charge of whatever you and I are going through and circumstances will never dictate whether or not we're going to experience hope. We are experiencing hope no matter what the season, no matter how rainy the day, how dark the night how discouraging the word from your doctor is. It's not about our age. Oh, I'd love to be younger. Believe me, I'd play flag football today. Mm -hmm. Listen, your present issues do not determine how much hope you can have in your heart and spirit. How low things may look does not dictate hope. You may not even feel like hope, but you choose hope and God's gonna take care of it. Remember, your current season is only a season. It's only a photograph. It's not your life story. It's not the entire movie. Have you ever left a movie early and said, oh, I know how that's going to end. It's going to be terrible. And you find out later it ended great and you ruined it because somebody had to give you the story. Come on, kind of like you Giants fans when they beat the Patriots in the last few seconds a few years ago in the Super Bowl. And here I was in L.A. at Pastor Matthew Barnett's house with all his staff, and we were the only two Patriots fans in the whole country, I think, the way they lost that game. Listen, you still have hope no matter how it looks. My hope is not based on how it looks or seems. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, our faith is a substance, our hope is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Romans 8 verse 4 says, we're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. The most precious times in our lives are like this morning 
when some of us may be struggling, but we've come here. We chose to come here today. Anybody forced at gunpoint? All right. We have people that can help if that's the case. See us after. We'll get you out of here. You came and I came because we decided to come, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through. So don't judge the scene you walked in on. It may look hopeless, but God is at work 24-7, 365. God is working. He is perpetually orchestrating the circumstances in your life and mine, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, for our benefit. He is going to work us through this thing because Romans 8, 28 says all things are working, not might. They're already working together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. There'll be times it doesn't make sense. There'll be times we'll cry our eyes out until our tears have dried up. But God is working. Remember, a light shines the brightest in the dark. So my snapshot of challenges, my momentary season of issues, is not the final outcome. Romans 15, verse 13 says, he wants us to always abound in hope. How many know that's not just a feeling? We have to choose it. We can be lying on the floor weeping and choose to stand up and go to work anyway and choose to get up and get dressed and shave when you just soon be laying under the covers for about a month. Come on, anybody been there? And you get up and say, it's going to be okay. One of the toughest things was going in to face my wife's surgery after all they'd shown us on test results. And there were three major areas they believe were cancerous in her body. And all the tests indicated it. And because we don't have insurance, we're on a, a hospital free care right now. I'm sharing that because some of you may be there too. They didn't just go do surgeries that they were going to have to write off if they didn't know. They didn't just say, well, he's got a great policy. Let's go crank up another wing. You know what I'm saying? And we sat there, and the only thing that held us together was the hope of God. Spending that first night in the hospital, praying over her and sitting there, saying, God, they've gone in. They've done what they can. Don't know what's going to happen next. And it was about four days later, the test results came back. Man, I totally lost it when I got the word that, yeah, we can't find anything. <laughs> and we, we can't find anything. So, uh, so no lymphoma, no stomach cancer, no colon cancer. No, no, we don't understand it. Uh, we've test, we, we did all these complex upper endoscopies and biopsies and they were so doubtful of the fact that they couldn't find anything they were, she won't mind me saying, they were going to go in uh, arthroscopically. Is that what it's called? I don't have my medical degree yet. Uh, anyway, and they did all those holes. And he said, and if we don't find anything based on the test, we're going to cut you open. We're going to go in. We're going to take out anything we can. So uh, I kid her. I said, you got a map of the United States right here. And uh, she laughs about it. It's all okay. We, we got plenty of scars over the years, both of us. But guess what? He went in and they said, what's going on? So, he, so the, the GI doctor said, I'm going to go in and do an upper endoscopy anyway. And he said, because there's got to be 
you know, and he did it. <laughs> and he came out after, and I don't get all the test indicators. It was anything from blood work to CT scans to you name it, they did it. Uh, the only, they, didn't, they didn't clean your teeth, I don't think. Other than that, they did everything else. Cut, didn't, didn't give her, a, didn't give her a, a, a manicure or a pedicure, but everything else except that and dental work. And he said, we, uh, mm, uh, he was embarrassed. I said, doctor, don't worry about it. We don't blame you. We just believe our God is able. And he got in there ahead of you. And he took care of it. And again, you guys were part of that prayer. Listen, it didn't look good, but I choose, according to Romans 4.18, to be like Abraham. It says, who against all hope believed in hope. And some of you that have come here today, that is the most valuable praise. If you got a roll of hundreds in your pocket and a brand new custom home that's paid and you got the red Harley Road King and all the other toys, God bless you, that's fine. But it's when you're in the toughest season of your life that is such valuable praise because your spouse is watching you, your kids are watching you, your grandkids are watching you, your friends, your brothers and sisters who haven't been through what you're going through right now, they're observing you, not judging or being harsh, but they're wondering, man, that's some tough stuff that my buddy's going through. How are they gonna come out the other side? And th they're not finding you at home today. They're finding you at Father's house. They're finding you praising and singing and going to the altar and worshiping and choosing hope. Hope is not based on our circumstances. Do you have hope today? It's not because things are smooth and it's all sunshine and roses. There may be a storm in your life, but you have hope because you've chosen hope. Secondly, I will not subscribe to the lies of hopelessness. You know there are lies of hopelessness, three main lies. There are three lies of hopelessness. And the first one is you're all alone. Have you ever felt that way? You're going through, oh, two people. Okay, yeah, thanks. <laughs> help me. I told you I'm trying to finish in like 20 minutes. I already got 15 done, so help me out. Listen, can't explain this, but have you been there where you're surrounded by people that love you, but you feel lonely? That isn't God making you feel that way. Come on. That's the enemy trying to discourage you and drain you. Sometimes it's you're just exhausted because you're working 100-hour weeks. Who wouldn't feel alone? You know what I'm saying? You're, you're, you're seeing your spouse, and he, you two are seeing each other like two ships passing in the night, the old saying goes. It's a challenge. Listen, we, we're not going to listen to the devil whispering you're all alone. Hebrews 13:5 says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Where is God? Where are you, Lord? excuse me, I'm right here. He's not going anywhere. When I would, when I would, I got those words, my wife's in bed sleeping, I'm out on our back deck in January at three o'clock in the morning crying, saying, Jesus, 
Where are you? He's right here. He hadn't gone anywhere. He hadn't moved an inch. When I buried my mama that taught me the gospel, where are you, God? I'm still where I've always been. I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Proverbs 18, verse 10 says, the name of the Lord's like a strong tower. The righteous run into it and, and it's safe. Psalm 61, 3 says, thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help. And I like what it says, when in time of trouble, he's there. Psalm 39, verse 7, my hope is in thee, O Lord. Psalm 146, verse 5, happy is he that whose hope is in the Lord. Listen, the psalmist said in Psalm 55, verse 16 through 18, everybody was turning against him, and he saw that, but then God had him focus, and I like what he said. He said, but there were many with me. Have you ever failed to see those that are behind you? You're looking at all those complainers and the negative reports, and we forget there are many with us. There's a crew here in the same row that you're sitting in that would change a tire for you after church. I hope they don't have to, and I hope it's not my truck for illustrative purposes. But how many know the family of God will step up to the plate? When you've lost somebody, they're there. They're going to bring meals. They're going to pray for you. Somebody who's already been there, they've lost a spouse or a child or a friend or a, or a, 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 a parent. They've been there and they've walked through and they've walked through in hope and they see you've, you're now in this. They're going to step right in and they're going to lift you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to pray extra for you. They're going to intercede for you. When you're going through a tough time financially, they're going to bring you a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread and a dozen eggs and maybe a couple of sirloins. Let's get real practical. Come on. The second lie is you'll never change. Anybody ever wrestle with that lie? You've struggled so long, you'll never change. That's the enemy. We may be struggling, but God my Father loves me unconditionally. And Proverbs 24, 16 says, a just man falls seven times, but what? Gets up, baby, gets up, riseth again. Come on. Negative voices, people saying, well, she's just like her mother, or his dad was a drunk, he'll always be a drunk. You know my testimony here. I'm family here. Listen, my dad was an abusive alcoholic and left my sister and I and my mama when I was five years old. He was a violent mess. He left for another woman with her five kids. And guess what? God redeemed that anyway. Years later, he got saved and attended my church. I was able to baptize him in water. Amen. And now he's with Jesus. He's with the Lord, and everything's going to straighten out later. Later in his life, in his 70s, he would say, Son, I'm so sorry about what I did to you and your mother and sister. And I would say, Dad, what do you, I don't know what you mean. He said, You know, I left, I was a drunk and all that. And he, he, by the way, he found sobriety at age 46 through AA, and he learned about a higher power. We just kind of, that's fine. God used it. And later I was able to explain the higher power, 
introduce him to the higher power. And he'd come to church just being a gentle old man, cry like a baby. Every service, he said, this is the best service we've ever had. And he'd cry, and he just, he no longer were three cruisers coming to the yard to haul him out. Uh, I'm serious. No longer was he hitting people. and He just, Jesus changed his life. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen. God did something in his life, and he would say, I'm sorry for what I did. I said, Dad, I don't know what you're talking about. That's under the blood of Jesus. I don't remember that. Of course I remember in the natural, but I refuse to focus on it. I don't care what you've done, where you've been. The devil's telling you you'll never change. Yes, you will. Generationally, my grandfather committed suicide with a handgun in the woods because he, had, he was a drunk, he was an alcoholic, and he lost his job as a trucker and couldn't provide for his family in the Depression. I never got to meet him because he felt so worthless he killed himself, and much of it was his alcohol abuse that brought his spirit so low that he didn't see any hope as a younger man. And then my father drank his whole life until age 46. And guess what? I don't care where you've been or what your, what your generational lines are in your life. God visited a little home in Northburg, Maine and grabbed a little kid by the arm and brought me to church and I accepted Christ at five years old and yes, I knew about salvation then. My mama and nana taught me and to this day, I've never had a drink. Is that okay with you? God can interrupt it. My friends that know me the best say you're crazy enough without alcohol. Don't ever start. I made it this far. I don't plan on ever starting. I, I don't want to get into this, but I see, I don't want to get in trouble. But no, I'm safe here. What am I talking about? All over the country, I'm seeing so much socially accepted drinking and partying and one Wine leads to two and all that and a six-pack. And, oh, it's just a light beer. Yeah, you've had three cases. You're seeing lights all right, I'll tell you right now. I don't want any of it. Sorry, is that okay? I'm not, all right. I, if a trap door opens up, <laughs> I'm done. Listen, I just, uh, I just don't believe we have to walk in the way we were. I don't want anything to do with it. The second lie he gives, you'll never change. Listen, you will change. They'll say, uh, and then you, you don't Google health issues. <laughs> you got a splinter, and you're going to scroll through about four pages of info and read a story about a guy that died removing a splinter. <laughs> you go, <coughs> mm. wow, let me Google that. I coughed while preaching. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Honey. I just want you to know I love you. I coughed, and page 37 says, <laughs> I could be missing a lung. Come on. <laughs> Worst thing you can do is get around somebody that's going to tell you, my cousin had a wisdom tooth pulled and died. <laughs> I wouldn't go to a chiropractor. I know a guy who's paralyzed. He went to the chiropractor. And all, they'll bring out the negative. Oh, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? Stay away from them. Don't listen to the negative voices. Listen, the people that say you'll never be out of debt. How many know it's not God whispering you'll never be out of debt? That's the enemy trying to discourage you. 
The enemy will say, this is just your lot in life. You've blown it. You've made decisions that have destroyed you for life. You'll never recover. Oh, yes, I will. You just don't know my God. You don't understand. He can literally allow himself to be crucified, put in a tomb and sealed, and then get up when he wants to and drag a pile of people out of their graves with him. Come on. And they'll walk around a few days in Jerusalem. Come on. He can do what he wants. He can find you a wife. He can find you a husband better than Match.com. I don't know, five years ago, I was out on Memorial Day. I was doing some hospital visits, and I stopped at a Starbucks in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And as I was walking in, there were five sailors. We have a base there. Uh, uh, What's the base now? I grew up there. Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. And I was headed to another hospital visit. And uh, I saw these five sailors in their white dress uniforms. And I, I said, look, you guys don't know me. <clears throat> I'll never see you again. And I'm personally, I'm not a veteran. I'm a former police officer, but I couldn't do what you guys did. And they said, yeah, we're submariners. I said, I don't even want to go on one to visit one. Climb in a tomato can and submerge me 400 miles is what it would feel like. Don't shut that hatch. <laughs> Leave it open. I'll ride on the deck and with, a, with a vest on anyway. Uh, I just said, I want to thank you. I'm not trying to gain points. We'll never see each other again. I just want, you know, I appreciate you. And I had some free Starbucks coffee coupons. I said, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to gain brownie points. out. We'll never see each other. I just want to tell you, I appreciate you. And I'm not even a veteran. Our church put up back then over 100 flags. Uh, uh, every time there was a a patriotic event, 4th of July, Memorial Day, September 11th every year. We'd put up all this stuff. We'd bring in like a police cruiser, fire truck, uh, military jeeps, whatever, just to show our support for our country. Uh, As my friend Dave Cochran says, the Constitution. I'll vote for anybody that doesn't try to mess with the Constitution. Sorry, political. I'm done now. Anyway. I won't vote pro-abortion, by the way. Sorry. I don't care. I won't. I look at the platform. Uh, And so I told these guys, just thanking you, here's some coupons. One guy followed me to my truck and said, hey, where are you a pastor? I said, oh, about 10 minutes up the road in Dover, New Hampshire. And and, uh, he said, wow, I've been looking for a church. I'm from California. Uh, Maybe we'll come Sunday. And if you had... How many know we'd have to build on if half the people had said they're coming Sunday, we're here? Or if, they, if we had at least all come the same week, it would help. We could have these chairs stacked in no time after if they're all here. Listen, guess what? They showed up, what, three or four of them. And so they had church with us. Then we would do this. We just invited them to our home. And we cooked them, a, I don't know, spaghetti dinner, I think, that day. Something discount, a discount, but it was good, but I love it. I just had some yesterday. Anyway, so, and, and then the one guy hung around. Actually, they all kept coming. And they stayed with us a couple of years. And, and now the very guy that followed me to my truck and said, where are you a pastor? He is my son-in-law. So, I'm telling you here, 
My daughter didn't need Match.com. She needed a daddy that walked in the Spirit and blessed people with free coupons for coffee. And this guy is a gem. Both my son-in-laws are literally so gifted and talented when they move somewhere else. We, we closed our church. We lost our whole worship team, music, everything. And it's okay. We get along fine. But I do blame them. I do blame them. Uh, and they know that. They know uh, that's the one area of bitterness. No, anyway. When, when our youngest daughter, they moved to Vegas, their youth pastors had their first baby two years ago. I came out. I said, honey, I've brought a, I brought a car seat. Oh, good. So uh, the baby can ride with you. Little lion can ride with you when you're here. Nope. I said, your husband took my baby. I'm bringing yours back to Maine. Come on. So anyway, I didn't have a car seat. But anyway, listen, listen. God will order your steps. You need a job. Man, you might gas up at the right place and somebody in the next lane says, hey, we're hiring for executives. God is in control, and sunrise is coming. Sunrise is coming. I know you're weary. I know it hurts. I know the future's uncertain. And that last lie is that you can't hold on. And I'm here to say, yes, you can. You can hold on. Because the Lord is the strength of our life. The Lord is our light and, and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? He is the strength, the strength of our life. Of whom then should we be afraid? He is in charge, folks. Whatever word you were given this week and you brought it here to God, God has an answer for it. And if it's negative, he's going to take care of it and cancel it out. He said in the text, he's going to give us double if we'll just run to the stronghold. That last thing is simply this. And that is simply, I'll move from hopelessness to hope. When I choose to be, I'm closing, but listen, when I choose to be a hope peddler, when I choose to be, not a dope peddler, make sure you get this down. I got my main accent, I got my main accent going. Uh, when you choose to be a hope peddler, in other words, you're fighting against the three lies of hopelessness and then you're deciding, you're deciding that I don't care what I'm going through, somebody is hurting worse than me. I'm not going to stay in the house all day and focus on how rough it is. I can't stand it. Get me out of here. Get me in a nursing home. Let me help somebody handicap. Somebody else out of work. My friend's out of work. I'm out of work. Let me be the inspiration for him. Let me go stack his firewood. Let me, go, let me go paint a bedroom. Let me bring him a loaf of bread. Let me do something. Let me, let me just surprise him while he is at work today. He's working 60, 80 hours a week. Let me just mow his yard and trim his grass. Let me, let me ask to borrow his car. And he says, sure, go ahead. And let me bring it back full and detailed because he hasn't had five minutes to detail it. Let me be a hope peddler. Because as I keep walking closer to God and I go to that stronghold, that high tower, as I approach God, let me bring as many with me as possible. When I die, let me be right after I've encouraged somebody, prayed for somebody, lifted somebody. If I have to be in a doctor's room or a waiting room or a pre-op 
waiting to be carved up by some surgeon that at best is only human. Let me bring hope to others and pray for others like we did while my wife's in surgery. We begin to ask people's needs and pray over them as a family. Let me bring some others up here because even though I'm hurting too, the greatest solution for my hopelessness is to forget what the enemy's saying, not judge my circumstances because my book isn't written yet. It's halfway written. Let me step up and let me bring somebody higher in Jesus' precious name. Let's bow our heads today. In just a minute, I forgot. I mentioned book. There are three books that we've put together that I wrote and my wife put together and uh, uh, Pastor John asked me to mention them. We were, we were out of books, and uh, we tried to order them, but it would have been here in a couple of weeks. So uh, the books are available if you want to sign up in the office, I guess. Uh, I think they're five, seven, and nine. Uh, and, and the first one is Acorn Dropped. If you only get one, that's four ninety nine. Plus, if you can put a dollar or two in for shipping, that'll help cover it. Uh, these are just messages of hope. The first one's an allegory about an acorn that Father Tree says, it's going to be wonderful. I got great plans for you. And the little acorn comes to in the dirt, in the dark. Ever been there? <laughs> and so it's an allegory. I had a lot of people uh, literally weep through that. They have to keep putting it down. It's only a 45-minute read. It's a pocketbook. The other one is Acorn Chronicles, just random devotionals from the last few years experiences we've been through. The last one is a 21-day devotional based on the time I spend in my grandmother and mother's old rocking chair. And I promise you they're money-back guarantee, all right? We'll pick them up and refund your money. But if you want one, sign up at the office. We'll drop ship a bunch of them here. They should be in about a week or so if you want one. Uh, anyway, while every head's bowed, every head closed, I want to pray for you. Uh, there's a lot of pain that happens in life, and we're blessed anyway, but sometimes we, we get distracted and we get derailed in our faith, and we look at all the negative, and we get so overwhelmed, and, and, and you're saying, well, preacher, that's easy for you to say, I can't pay my house payment tomorrow, or I can't pay my car payment Wednesday. I know all about that. I'm not preaching from some position of, I, I'm, you know, some people give their testimony after they've come through the valley, after the storm clouds are, are gone, and they're, they're sitting there with a roll of cash and all this wonderful stuff. I, I'm preaching to you from the middle. This is the middle of the toughest three years we've ever had in our lives. But guess what? I am full of hope this morning. I felt it when I turned on the campus. I felt it when I toured the building. I felt it when I heard that, that pre-service music and worshiping, and there's hope here today. I would like as many as possible. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to close and turn this back over to our pastor, but ask Sister Kelly if it's okay to pray for you. If you're going through a storm, I want my wife and, and Sister Kelly to come, and we're, we're going to pray for you. Would you come right now? I don't care what your storm is. You don't even have to tell us what it is. I don't care what it is. But if you're going through a tough time, financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, I want to pray for you. 
Those of you that have lost things that are dear to you, I know all about it. I know all about that. I've experienced it. And I know what it's like. And I'm not out the other side yet. I'm still in the tunnel. Can I pray for you in the same tunnel? Can we just join hands down here? Can we just join hands and let me pray for you? Let's stand as we close. Let's stand. And if you'd like prayer, would you just come down? We want to pray for you. I'll stay as long as you want. And I've got the longest drive home. I'm like 1,200 miles away. So uh, I'm just serious. Uh, Do you feel hope this morning? God has written about it in his word. And the body of Christ, no matter where we're at, somebody's a step or two ahead of us because they've been where we're at and they'll encourage us. Your pastor has encouraged me these last three years because he knows the the struggle and the challenge that I feel right now. And he's there and he's helped us. And you all prayed for us when my wife was so sick and was not supposed to ever come visit you again, according to the reports. But she's coming again and again and again because God did something that's documented, unexplainably documented. They've done more tests. Sorry, everything's fine. (laughs) No, 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 don't apologize. And some of you are in a similar thing today. I want to pray for you. Would you just come? Last call, would you come? I'm going to pray for those that need to leave and turn it over to my brother. And... uh, then we're just going to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this opportunity, God. God, I just thank you for a chance to peddle some hope. God, I pray that you'd use at least something that I said to bring encouragement. God, I sincerely, I sincerely pray that folks have felt hope and encouragement today, that you'd lift them. God, may you make it so real in our hearts and spirits today that this is not the end, that it may be a new beginning, but it's not the end, that this isn't over, that some part of our life might be over, but our life isn't over. You've got a plan, and it's going to be better than what we thought was going to be taking place. You've got a better plan. You have our best interest in mind. You care about us. You're able to orchestrate every detail and get us to where we need to be. We bind every hindrance of the enemy and loose the powers of the Holy Spirit to bring encouragement, flood us with hope, and may Christ's chapel, every one of us this week, spread more hope in a discouraging season that our country is in. May we spread more hope than we've ever done before in our lives. May we lead many to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. If you want prayer, we're going to pray.